Ready. Hey. Just in the middle of the field, 45, 50. Green grass in front of him, leaving Lions in his way. I am Jeff Joniak. Blitz is on. Down he goes. Brisker. What was it like playing for Coach Dicka? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. Ooh. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. No way. Three, four, three. And now, Bears Etc. with the voices of the Chicago Bears, Jeff Joniak, and Tom It's Thanksgiving, and the Bears are doing the holiday balancing act of welcoming family and friends from parts unknown into their homes while going to work and preparing for the Monday night matchup with the Minnesota Vikings. And most of us in football work all the holidays, so we always have been used to it. Uh, same with the players and staff. We hope. Your Thanksgiving is joyous and wonderful, and there is nothing better than Thanksgiving in football and nothing better to break down than with my guy Tom Thayer, the Super Bowl-winning Bears guard here on Bears Etc. I'm Jeff Joniak. Coming up, our conversation with former Bears front office man and the former GM of the Miami Dolphins and Minnesota Vikings, Rick Spielman. Uh, so the status at Hallis is uh, Thursday will be light uh, uh, as they get ready for the Vikings and then back to work on Friday and Saturday, depart on Sunday to take on a Viking team that you know, we only look at how the Bears lost their game in Detroit. They lost it similarly in Denver. Their defense played great, held them to field goals. They owned the clock. They did everything in their power to win that game, except they turned the ball over a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I never played in a Monday night game during Thanksgiving week, so Thanksgiving Day was a normal practice day for me throughout my career, or else we played on Thanksgiving Day. So I think it's the right way to go about the schedule, to get the week started, get through some meetings, uh, bring them in for a short period of time on Thursday, then get back to work on Friday. Um, and, you know, try to, you know, figure out the last four minutes, but play more like the first 60, 56 minutes. And I think they can have a positive outcome come Monday night. I would say the status at Hallis is exactly that, the focus on the finish. We've been talking about it all season, every week, focus on the finish. But frankly, it's a theme that's never going to stop in football from the best teams to the worst teams from high school to college to the NFL. That's the way it works. You find a way and you got to figure it out. To, to me, I'm not looking at the players. I'm looking at what the coaches would do differently because when you talk about the scheme and what they're thinking and the calls that come in from the sideline, it's then the players go out and do their jobs accordingly. So as much as, you know, you want to talk about the outcome of the game, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, concerned about what would the coaches do differently in their four minutes. If, you know, if you, you know, you could have the privilege of asking the questions when you look at the down and distance, you look at the time remaining on the clock, you look at the defensive formations, how would you go different about your business? Yeah, I'm not going to absolve the players, though, because they got to make they got to make the play. They got to figure out how to make the play. If it's defense making an interception that you got to have, or the quarterback making a pass that you got to have, or the offensive line making a protection you got to have, because that's where the money's made, and it's it's across the board. Yes, coaches, but I'm not going to absolve players from this either. Not just this game. Okay, I'm well, talking about finish for the whole season. Like this team is not finished uh, for two years. And right. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I was talking specifically about yeah, this no, game, no, no, but no. I know I know what the bigger picture is. Yeah. Um. So it would be a good. I guess it'll be a debate for the plane between. Yeah. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be a podcast debate. It'll be an on plane debate. 
And then the status, we won't know until the injury report. It doesn't have to come out until Friday now. Oh, no, I guess they'll do a Thursday if they practice type scenario. So Deontay Foreman, want to know where he's at at running back. And uh, Lucas Patrick at center who left the game with a back injury. Am I missing anybody? Um, you know, how did Tremaine Edmonds yeah. come out of the game and where is he uh, going forward? But um, I, I think everybody else, it seemed uh, they've come out of the game pretty healthy. I want to retract before we start preview. i got to talk about the offensive line more because Tevin Jenkins, again, at least in pass protection, uh, got a high grading from pro football focus, but this year he has not given up uh, a sack. It's been a test for the tackles. Braxton Jones to start the season with Larry Borum, now Braxton Jones and Darnell Wright at tackle. And I'm interested because we don't ever talk about Darnell. I want to get your impression about how he's played. I think he's playing really well. I think he's a a really good thinking um, rookie offensive tackle. I think he plays with strength. I think he's a heck of an athlete. I think he has a high desire to stay on the field because we've seen him from the broadcast booth where he's limped after a play or shaking something off, but never wanted to leave the huddle. Even Sunday, even Sunday. Right. Yeah. Well, it's more than once. You know, you look at the full picture of his season, he's done a great job. Fields played for the first time in 35 days with that dislocated thumb. Uh, He says he's going to keep it taped the rest of the season just to be safe. At the podium on Wednesday up at Hallis Hall, uh, talked about a couple of things. Uh, One, if the pressure that Brian Flores brings at the line of scrimmage will affect his ability to run on the edges like he's been apt to do. I still think the middle of the field, man, a couple of those against Detroit and, and several last season, some of his biggest runs, he exploded off off a guard or a tackle and it opened up and he was gone down the middle of the field. If that will be complicated at all. Here's the quote from Justin at the podium. Um, if they bring it all out, yeah. I mean, you really don't have anywhere to go because you got, you know, you're you're outnumbered in protection. So, um, you know, that's when you got to get the ball out quick. So that's how you combat that. But, yeah, when they bring their all out, cover zero pressure, then, I mean, yeah, you're not going to. Unless you just completely out athlete, you know, the DN set him up some way, one way or the other, but um, not really looking, you know, cover zero. That's not really the answer to beat that is try to scramble and stuff around. You just want to get the ball out quick and, um, you know, let the playmakers make plays and work for you. So, yeah. As disappointing as it was in Detroit, are you excited to have a primetime opportunity to kind of show that that's not who you guys are? Uh, I think for the most part, we, we showed who we were, you know, except until the end of the game. But, um, you know, Focus on finishing better and, you know, uh, finishing out the game when it counts and, you know, when a drive comes up, um, you know, making that big play when it matters. But, um, I mean, yeah, we're definitely excited for this opportunity. Um, you know, the Vikings, have, they've been playing, you know, great this fast, past few weeks. So, um, definitely excited for the opportunity. We, we get to have a Monday night and um, get to go out there and ball up. And so talk about that because do you see that field, when it opens up up the middle, he should just go because it's a lot of green grass. You have a Brian Flores very creatively with his defensive scheming. He doesn't allow open lanes, even if he's blitzing from the inside or outside. So it's more of how quickly can get, can you get the ball out of your hands downfield? And you have backs that are good receivers. You have a good tight end that's a receiver. And you have great wide receivers. So the immediacy of the ball out of your hand is going to dictate the way Brian, Brian Flores runs his screen. It runs a scheme. If you become vulnerable to protection at the line of scrimmage and the offensive line has, has some uncertainty, the crowd noise is effective, and then they set that outer edge that they don't give Justin escapability, 
it's it's the type of game plan that Brian Flores has been as successful as he's been in some of the biggest games against some of the best quarterbacks. But Justin, uniquely enough, he has the type of talent that if they bring a blitz and he makes one guy miss, that he can be gone. If he reads the hot read during the cadence, it can be a really big play. So there's a lot of ways that Justin can counteract the blitzing of Brian Flores in one of them is is his supreme athleticism. Now, this is something that I liked what Justin had to say. He was very confident about his deep ball. You, It's almost taking the words out of your mouth. You've been saying it all year. We're going to hear it from Rick Spielman here in a moment about Justin's deep ball. He's very proud of it. I mean, to be honest, I feel like deep balls, just in general, I feel like that's kind of what I do best, to be honest with you. I think I throw the ball... Uh, down the field, exceptionally, I feel like you know it's, it's it's one of my strengths, and you know I've been doing it since you know high school, college. So um, you know I think it's one thing that I do best, and um, you know one thing that I think we're gonna get, keep uh, you know doing, and you know get two more. So yeah. And so I, I think it's important that he own that. He said it at the podium. This is what I do best. This is what I think I do best. Uh, a lot of folks think that Justin Fields' best trait is running the football, but. I, I like I like to say he does both of those things well. And right. now it's everything else in between that can round out his play. So oh, the two things about deep ball, if you provide the protection for him, like in the commander's game, he shows that he has small window of opportunities that he can take advantage of to give the receiver an opportunity to make a catch. If he reads well inside the pocket and is able to step up field without crossing the line of scrimmage, he's got downfield accuracy that is is as good as anybody in the league. So it's the things where and when and how you want to make that longer throw. And um, he, like I said, he can complement protection or he can step up in the pocket and still make the great throw. We are brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield. For all your journeys ahead, go with a partner who's been on your team from the beginning, the one members and communities have trusted for over 85 years. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, always standing by you, with you, for you, through it all. All right, we had an opportunity to visit with Rick Spielman. He's bouncing around to many different media outlets after a post-management career with multiple teams, including the Bears, back in 97, when we got to know him well for his three years before he went down to Miami as uh, one of the pro personnel directors for the Chicago Bears at that time. Uh, I'll tell you, he's uh, done a great job with the 33rd team, if you happen to get that newsletter. Also at CBS Sports, CBS HQ. I've seen him at the Combine. He loves the draft. He's been diving into it. We talked about many different topics for a good half hour. Here's our conversation with Rick Spielman. Uh, Rick, how you doing? Uh, The former NFL Executive of the Year, the Massonville, Ohio native, the SIU alum, the former Bears, (laughs) Dolphins, Viking Executive, and now Big Tom. He is is all things media. You've got like a half a dozen jobs right now. I'm I like just it. Trying to make a living, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm trying to live the life you guys have always that I've always dreamed of that you guys live. So this is uh, quite the lifestyle. You know, can you sum up <laughs> where, where you're working actually? Because uh, a lot of folks, uh, if they want to uh, see your work, because you do great job, great job analyzing the NFL and also always with an eye on towards the NFL draft, which the scout in you you can't escape, right? No, no, I'm doing a lot of work for CBS and CBS HQ on the weekends, and then. Uh, have a with the first pick podcast and it's all draft related. Talk a lot about the Bears and what should they do with their picks this year. 
uh, as the season unfolds. And we do that every Tuesday and Thursday on With the First Pick, doing a lot of uh, serious XM radio uh, hosting. Uh, Saturday nights I do a show with Zig Fakasi, uh, getting the previews on the games coming up, some stuff with the 33rd team and about three or four other side jobs. You know, Rick, the 33rd team I was interested in because I really enjoy your contributions. So all of us are kind of used to talking about football, and it's it comes easy to us. But when you're sitting down uh, behind a computer and now you're starting to write uh, however long the articles have a tendency to be, is it is it more difficult to write or is the writing part just as easy as the talking? The writing part is the reason why I didn't go into English I can write a report on a player with ease, but trying to make that sound halfway, I'm not going to win any Pulitzer prize with, uh, with my writings. They do a great job with the editors trying to make uh, chicken salad out of chicken crap is what they say in the business as I learned. So, but they do a great job. It's just being able to express your thoughts and doing it in words is a lot easier because we all do that. But when you have to actually sit down there and write it, it makes it a totally different ball game. It's getting easier the more you do it. But it's just like when you watch tape on a, on a player and then you write up that report, well, you can do it at a blink of the eye now. I remember the first player that I wrote up was Major Harris, a quarterback at West Virginia. Yep. And it took me about two and a half, three hours to write that one report, which I said, we're going to have a long career if I can't <laughs> figure out how to do this a lot quicker because there's a lot more than one guy I have to write up. But uh, I'm finding that out that the articles are becoming easier to write, although I would say that I don't know if I'll ever be a newspaper man uh, and writing articles or editorials, uh, especially if I don't have the supporting cast around me that the 33rd team provides. Well, Rick, is is each position equally difficult to evaluate, or is there a position that may be a little bit more difficult to evaluate than, um, you know, all the other positions you're looking at? It, it, it the, you know, it depends. You got to say quarterbacks for anybody's the most difficult and the hardest one to predict on who will have success or not have success. I would say probably – the most film you have to watch to get a true feel is on a defensive safety or a defensive back because they're not involved in the play every snap. When you watch the Tom Thayers, they're hitting someone every snap on the offensive line or defensive lineman that you're watching. So you can get a pretty good sense or running back with all the touches, but it's the quarterback that's the most difficult to evaluate because you're trying to project a college offense and a college what he's doing at the collegiate level to what's going to uh, produce or, you know, at the NFL level, but watching a safety, I mean, you take seven or eight games before you really figure out because they get limited opportunities in a game. They're not going to get the ball thrown to them every snap. You got to figure out if they can run support, the angles and run support when they do get opportunities in coverage, uh, which come sometimes few and far between to get a true feel of what they're going to be projected at the next level. Rick, that's why I whiffed in uh, the 2000 draft when I was watching tapes that you and uh, George Payton, now the general manager of the Broncos, your good friend, uh, worked with him all those years uh, at Minnesota. And uh, I was looking at safeties that year, and I, I, re- I he, George says, well, who do you like? 
And I said, well, here it is, Rogers Beckett, San Diego State. And he goes, <laughs> hmm, okay. And he slides me Mike Brown. He goes, I think you ought to watch this. I already watched it. I said, I, I don't know. It's just, it looks a little slow out there. <laughs> well, Rogers Beckett didn't have a very good career, and uh, Mike Brown is one of my favorite Bears of all time, and I would love to watch him play no matter what. Uh, Mike Brown was all about angles and attitude and stubbornness and working his tail off and just an outstanding Chicago Bear. I'm sure as a scout and a, and a general manager, that makes you laugh when a guy like me is trying to evaluate uh, NFL talent. No, because you're at least giving effort. Some of the guys <laughs> that talk about NFL talent don't even watch the tape. I mean, we're all wrong. I've been wrong. George has been wrong. So, But at least if you're doing the work, you, you respect the opinion. You may not agree with the opinion, yeah. but at least you respect it. Hey, Rick. And Jeff, even back, you remember when I was with the Bears as a pro director, one of my favorite things to do was to come on your pregame show and give the yep. advanced scouting report. That's where I finally figured out that one day when I'm done working in this executive office BS that I might enjoy doing the media, and it was all – because of Jeff Joni ah. giving me my first shot in front of a microphone. <laughs> well, you did a great job, and I was honored to have you guys on. And uh, you guys gave me a lot of access, and you trusted me, and I, I always have appreciated that. So, do you guys still use that little trailer? No, uh, you know, no. I remember walking to the trailer before the games. Yep. Nope. That that is uh, long gone. That's a previous radio station, and uh, now we're on ESPN <laughs> Chicago. So it's a whole different ball game. Hey, you mentioned uh, quarterbacks. And I just talked about this with Tommy last week on our podcast here. And teams fall all over themselves. They mortgage the future. They make deals. They shred their roster just to move up to get a guy that they hope is going to be the guy. Every team in the league has basically done it, uh, with rare exception. Uh, it's become such, such a hard task. It seems to get harder as opposed to easier. Um, I know that you are, are doing this draft stuff, and I think you've uh, put on 33rd team, or maybe it was CBS, I can't remember now, that you think there's 18 draftable quarterbacks uh, coming out of this draft, which is, to me, a very, very high number. I'm sure it may whittle down as time goes on, or maybe it'll increase when there's a dark horse. Do you agree with my assessment that it's becoming more and more difficult and more and more challenging and more and more risky, as opposed to the other uh, way around? I yeah, I think it's always been more and more difficult, more and more challenging, because if anyone had the answer to the burning bush question, <laughs> there wouldn't probably be as many busts, and including some of the busts I had trying to select a quarterback uh, during my tenure. But I think that everybody is trying to find an edge. I know the evaluation of a quarterback has changed so much on trying to apply analytics to it, trying to do this or that, trying to figure out what ticks, you know, because to me, you can see the physical ability. You can see him run. You can see him throw the arm talent. It's the quarterback position. And Tom, you know, you've played, you play with some pretty good quarterbacks. Is that, do they have that leadership or whatever that trait is that everybody in that locker room wants to go win for that guy or play for that guy? And, you know, this year when C.J. Stroud came out and the test score, that S2 score, I believe, said he was the lowest out of all the quarterbacks. Well, going forward, I would want to make sure my quarterback score scores as low as possible on that S2 test so I know he's going to be the next C.J. Stroud. 
So, but that that's just such a hard prediction to make at the quarterback position, not because of the physical ability, but it's because you're trying to get in the mind and the heart of that player. You're trying to figure out what makes him tick. Does he tick when the pressure's on the line? I mean, you see C.J. Stroud, for example. When the game is on the line, for some reason, he plays like a veteran, like he's been lined up for the last 10 years. And he's won two, I think, uh, two games here recently that uh, he took his team down for the winning drive and the score. So those are things that you can't watch on tape. You can try to evaluate it. But everybody's trying to go through, like I said, the psychological testing, the analytics, whatever you can do to try to get the answer to the test on what mentally makes these guys tick and successful because it's not all about just physical ability. Hey, Rick, um, I'm interested in the, your, your GM point of view on this question. So Kareem Jackson from Denver is suspended for four games. Second time he's been suspended this year, he appealed the first one, then he got suspended for a hit on Joshua Dobbs. As a GM, how do you go to bat for him? Or because it's the second time around, do you have to live with the suspension? Well, if if you do that within the first five plays coming back off of a suspension, I mean, what you know, you almost ask yourself, is this guy a knucklehead or what are you thinking? I understand the aggressiveness and you want to play the game hard and you want to play the game physical. But you have to know after you lost money, after you've been suspended, to maybe just keep your head up instead of launching with the top of your head into a player, that's not going to fly. The thing that surprised me the most about that game was that there wasn't a penalty called on that play. Right. And I would have thought for sure potentially someone in the New York office would have pinged the uh, officials on the field and say, get him out of there because he just did it again, because they were able to see the replay. But since the penalty was not called, maybe they held judgment until after the game, and then they saw the replay. Now they, they they pinged him again. But there's a line between playing physical and aggressive, but also playing smart and abiding by the rules that are put in place for players' safety. And it just seems like if you didn't get it the first time, Hopefully you get it going forward after the second time you're going to get pop. You know, uh, so a question outside football a little bit. So when we used to play in the Metrodome, I hated more the walk back and forth of the locker room of any stadium I've played in. <laughs> so now that the Bears are on the cusp of possibly building a new stadium, is there any immediate thoughts come to your mind about the do's and don'ts of, of building a new stadium for the home team or maybe – uh, a, that longer walk to, for the away team? Uh, I know Kevin Warren, uh, you know, when he was in Minnesota, he was did a phenomenal job leading our organization along with a couple other executives and getting that stadium, our new stadium built. So he knows the ins and outs of that. The one thing that I would say that was vitally important for the home team was to make sure that not only you have the locker room and everything, but all of the things you need to do after a game to recover your body. Because I remember we didn't have the facilities to do that at the Metrodome, but the hot tubs, the whirlpools, all the amenities that go along in the training room. If we played at home on a Sunday and had a Thursday game the following week, we would make sure the players stayed there after the game to start all their treatments and everything so they didn't go home. 
So I just would make sure that you have all the amenities that you need to give your team potentially a competitive advantage, especially if you're playing on a short week. You There's rules in the NFL. You have to meet X standards in order for a visiting locker room to get a checkoff from the league office. Now, whether you walk, you know, 250 yards uh, across the field or around the stadium, you do three loops around the stadium to get to the field. That's, that's something that, you know, you, you, I don't know if it will pass uh, inspection, but there's ways, uh, like I said, but most of the time it's going to come down as our team better than your team and who's going to execute, execute the best. And, whether you hated that walk or not in the Metrodome, I'm sure you guys had a lot of success in that Metrodome as well, regardless of the walk. I still hated it. <laughs> Rick Maybe it made you mad so you played better. <laughs> Maybe it had a counter effect on you. <laughs> Rick Spielman, our guest here on Bears Etc. Podcast, and we are brought to you in part by Ticketmaster. Bears fans, you can be there for live NFL action all season long as the official ticket marketplace for the Bears and the NFL. Ticketmaster has a wide selection of tickets available for every game. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash Bears. So it's Bears-Vikings on Monday night. I know uh, you basically ran the division with the Bears. You started with the Lions as a player. You helped out there. You got your first start as a scout with them. And then a great career with the Minnesota Vikings and a lot of other great stuff in between, including the Dolphins. Uh, You know that roster. Some of those guys are still your guys uh, how do you feel about the Vikings, where they're at, and, and this whole Joshua Dobbs story? Well, make make sure you throw that player thing around very loosely because <laughs> I might have been a Hall of Fame camper, but not much more after that. So. Hey, I, all I know is an asterisk. You were, what was the other camp you were in? <laughs> I started out in the Chargers camp. Chargers. And I remember yeah. the first time I lined up at minicamp because there were no two OTAs back then is – uh, went out there for mini camp. Dan Fouts was a quarterback, and then uh, I was a linebacker, and I was covering in a one-on-one drill. Kellen Winslow. Oh my! And I didn't know whether to ask him for an autograph or do I touch him or how does this thing work? Next thing you know, I got spun around like a top when he ran a route, and I said, "This may not be the best shot for me because it ain't going to last too long. So maybe I can find another angle to get a career in the NFL." So. Wow. So, yeah, let's not use the word player. Our brother, <laughs> he was a player. Yes, he was. He was born with a change of direction. I was born with a hair and good looks, even though we can't <laughs> see it right now. <laughs> uh, how about Dobbs, the Dobbs story? Yeah, Dobbs it's been a it's great crazy. story. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no question his intelligence and, you know, what he was came and did for Minnesota, you know, because Kirk Cousins, to me, was playing almost at an MVP level and his game even went up a notch when Justin Jefferson went on IR. And you've seen some of the guys, you know, the tight end Hawkinson, Addison has stepped up, KJ Osborne. So they've done a great job. And I think Kevin O'Connell's done a phenomenal job uh, with that offense and what they're doing. Their defense is much more aggressive than when you watched last year. Last year, they were more of a zone just sit back. It was almost like watching a seven-on-seven drill at times and trying not to give up the big play where Coach Flo right now, Brian Flores, is way more aggressive in sending pressure from all different angles on that field, different guys coming from everywhere. So it's kind of hard, I think, to get a bead for offenses on what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball, which I think has helped. 
Hey, uh, Rick, you know, you brought up your brother's name. I had a pleasure of playing against him. I love your brother. He, he's a phenomenal player. But, you know, you Spielman brothers, you guys belong in the NFL. Is there uh, – can you have conversations now with Chris since he's, he's, in, he's with the Detroit Lions that maybe you couldn't have if you were with the Minnesota Vikings? Or do you even get a chance to talk that much uh, about – you know, either life or the going on in football. Yeah, no, we talk almost on a daily basis right oh, now. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of, for a lot of the stuff I'm doing in media, I watch a lot of tape on a lot of these college kids. So, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll bounce just between me and him, just what we think on certain players and, and what's going on. Um, but it's funny when they did not play very well against the Baltimore Ravens a few weeks ago, I got the call on Monday. Cause usually my rule was like, let me get through Monday and then Tuesday we can talk. And when he was broadcasting and I was in the front office, that was kind of our rule. So I didn't call him. And then Monday after that Baltimore game, I got a call and I was like, God, I hope everything's okay. And he just rant and raved for 20 <laughs> minutes on how frustrated he was when they the lost the way they did. And then he hung up on me. I was like, Oh yeah, mom's doing great. Yeah. But I'll call you next week. You know, so, but it's, it's, it's great. We uh, are a lot more probably open with each other as far as, you know, sharing things from a football side. Uh, we know where the, the line is. And even when he was broadcasting, uh, when we talk to each other, we're never going to jeopardize each other's integrity on what we have to do uh, in our respective roles. But it's pretty unique and it's pretty, it means so much to me that I have a brother that's now experiencing a lot of things that I experienced over 31 years and to share ideas to share things that you've been through that maybe you would have done differently here or there to be a sounding board for him. Uh, and, and like I said, respecting that line of integrity as well, where nothing is shared outside the conversations between me and him. You know, uh, Rick, uh, there's a lot of people that want to put a timeline on the evaluation of Justin Fields. Now put yourself in that same position. You, how do you evaluate him? And in, in your mind, is there a timeline on his evaluation? Well, the timeline is going to be at the end of the season because they're going to have some decisions to make, uh, especially if they have Carolina's pick and end up with the number one overall pick. And to me, the evaluation is going to be like Justin Fields before he injured his thumb. I think he had like 120 quarterback rating the way he was playing and he was on fire and came back. And I thought he played very well last week against the Detroit lions um, in Detroit. So they're going to have to make a decision. Do we go and continue with Justin Fields or how strongly do we feel about maybe a Caleb Williams or Drake may who are the two top quarterbacks coming out in this draft. And then if we do draft one of those, what are you going to do with Justin Fields? Do you try to trade him then? So I think they got to wait to see how the season unfolds. Hopefully Justin can stay healthy. He hasn't been able to stay healthy and on the field for a full season. Uh, I believe was it last year. He got hurt as well, had a knee and, and couldn't play this year. It's the thumb. So there's some durability questions probably that they need to answer. They know inside better than anyone, uh, the, the, what he is in a meeting, how well he picks up things. There's no question about his arm talent. To me, he's one of the best deep ball accuracy 
as far as accuracy, throwing the ball deep down the field. That was one of his strengths coming out. The question is, is he one of those quarterbacks that can speed up his progressions and get through his reads? And I don't know that. I think people in that building know that. They know a lot of things that outside the building you don't know. So that's how they're going to have to base their decision on if they're going to be Justin Fields going forward or if they're not going to be and try to get one of these two young quarterbacks, especially if they think that a Caleb Williams or a Drake May is that unique. Rick Spielman, our guest, our remaining moments with uh, our good friend, former Chicago Bear executive and NFL uh, executive of the year uh, in 2017 with the Minnesota Vikings. So I, I, I've always loved the draft. I've always dove deep into the draft as much as I can for all the 27 years I've been associated with the Bears. But the last two years in particular have been crazy. I think the draft business has truly become just that with all the different po- – and in timing with the way social media and different platforms and this whole podcast thing has taken off, uh, there is discussion about it uh, on the daily there are projections on the daily. It used to, you used to get them a month before from the media, and maybe there'd be some discussion and features and so forth. It has really exploded, Rick. And uh, do you think that's uh, – I'm, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. It's great for the sport. But for a quarterback like Justin or a quarterback like in New York, uh, Daniel, uh, he, the pressures that are then coming almost from the jump about what's coming next and what your team may or may not be thinking, you can't tell me it doesn't seep into their seep into their psyche a little bit or people in their family or in their circle are telling them, hey, you know, Bears could be looking at a quarterback. Do you, is that something that you think is happening and do you think that that's good or bad? Well, uh, you hope that the players mature enough to handle the outside noise because I'm sure – they're getting it whether they perform well or not. So you have to have very callous, thick skin to yeah. play quarterback in this league. And you have one bad game and all of a sudden the, the world's on fire. You know, you're, you can't, you're not good enough anymore. So I think that as long as, and it's the messaging I think that comes from the front office and I think, but during the season with all the noise, because there's more noise out there than just a draft, although I can't believe I already did two mock drafts. We're not even <laughs> till Thanksgiving yet. <laughs> Who'd you mock but, to the Bears? Huh? Who'd you mock to the Bears? Uh, you'll have to go and look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're, you'll, uh, they have to be strong enough mentally to handle that pressure because that's yeah. such a high-pressure job. And you're going to get the heat no matter what. And if you're starting to listen to the outside noise, then maybe you're not strong enough to handle what comes along with that job. All right, one more from me, and then we'll wrap with Tom. Uh, are we at the age in uh, the draft that it's okay to draft any position, number one, regardless, uh, because there could be an elite talent that you just cannot pass up? Are you talking about Marvin Harrison Jr., I am. who to me is going to be a future Hall of Famer? And uh, But I also think these two quarterbacks are very, very interesting. Uh, I compared Caleb Williams to Drew Locke, I guess. Drew Locke is who kind of he reminded me of coming out as far as that kind of savvy for the position. Uh, I said uh, Drake May, and you guys can laugh at me. I said he has some similar traits, not as good yet, but similar traits to Trevor Lawrence. 
uh, with his length and the way he throws the ball and his athletic movement skills. So those are the tough decisions that you're going to have to make. I think you have a generational receiver and I'm going to ask you guys this. Am I allowed to ask a question on this podcast? It's free flowing. We're friends. (laughs) We're friends. What do you think is more important to have? If you had a combination, a quarterback and an elite receiver or a quarterback in an elite left tackle. I'll let Tom answer first. Um, I'll go, I'll, because I'm an offensive lineman, I'll go with elite left tackle and um, a mentally strong quarterback. I would probably be in the same camp because the line of scrimmage, you never can have enough great talent. And uh, I'd like to see offensive lines grown together through a draft. But, you know, there's, there's a sexy part of it, too. I mean, you know, the well, wide receiver just, is just so unique. Uh, but Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just telling you this. Now, I'll probably never get drafted or asked on this podcast again. Because That's not I'm true. Going disag- I'm going to disagree with you both. Uh. <laughs> I'm just looking at Philly had a pretty good offensive line, but what helped the development of Jalen Hurts when they went and traded for A.J. Brown? Yeah. Tua was considered a bust. Look what he did, what Tyreek Hill did for the uh, for Tua down in Miami. So to me, and Tom, you guys have watched this NFL for a long, long time. I think the game has changed where everything is quick where them timing throws, a lot of the stuff that Miami does, a lot of the stuff that uh, they do out in San Francisco with Purdy and, and Kyle Shanahan. To me, I think having an elite receiver and an elite quarterback or a quarterback that is a very good quarterback will give you a far better chance to get to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl than without one. Now, I may be wrong, but that's how I feel. All right, Rick, last question for me. When you look at junior eligibility for all-star games, does that make the mock drafts more difficult for you or does it give you a better evaluation going into the draft? I think it gives you a a jump on the evaluation because you were never able to even talk to or the first time you got a chance to get in front of the juniors was usually at the combine. By them now being eligible to play in these all-star games, uh, you're going to get a lot uh, bigger, a lot faster jump on these kids. So you can really, once you get to the combine, hone in on maybe your top prospects not just all juniors. We always had the philosophy, let's interview and knock out as many seniors as we can at the Senior Bowl at the East-West game so we can allocate our time to the juniors because that's the first time we're going to get in front of them. But it'll be interesting to see how many juniors actually participate. And does this make the participation rate even more competitive to go out there? Because you go down to the Senior Bowl now, some of these guys practice one or two days and they sit out. Well, if they have a junior that's going to practice and and compete and they're jockeying for position in the draft, it'll be interesting to see how these kids respond, especially if the juniors are going to start filtering into these all-star games. They have a rare opportunity here, back-to-back years, to have really strong high draft picks. Uh, What's your philosophy? Don't pass a blue player. I remember when... My first draft in the Minnesota Vikings, and Adrian Peterson was there. We had Chester Taylor at the time. We had a very good year previously, but don't pass a unique player and because that's going to be a game changer for you. 
if your board says you can have you have four or five guys in the same area of the board, then maybe you move down and try to get as many of those type of guys as you can. But if there is someone that's unique, that's uh, that I would classify as a blue future hall, whatever you want to call them, you can't pass on those guys because those guys change games for you. Well said. Rick, we can't thank you enough. This was awesome. We could keep talking to you for hours. Join us again sometime, would you? Even if I disagree with you on the damn offensive tackle and quarterback combo. Hey, that's the beauty of the sport. Hey, listen, it's like politics, right? Everybody's got an opinion. Uh, But, no, it's great to talk football. I always appreciated you. I have a ton of respect for you, and uh, I I think what you're doing right now is is fabulous. you got a big smile on your face. I hear you're playing pickleball, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, golf. I got uh, pickleball elbow right now. Broke a little bursa sack. Oh, no. Get my arse kicked every week by 70, 75 year olds. So it's it's a tough life down here on an island. Right. No. Yeah, you're you at, you're on Sanibel, right? You're on Sanibel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we we just talked to Scott Kolakowski in Detroit, who is an enormous pickleball player. He and his wife, and he's talking about another game similar to paddleball that's been brought into the United States. Yeah, from Europe. I can't remember the yeah, name of it from now. Europe. Padel? Yeah, Padel. It's not Padel, Padel but Padel. Right, and so he's talking about that, the growth of that and the growth of the pickleball courts in the Detroit area. So, uh, you know, stay on your feet, keep moving. Keep the blood oh, yeah. moving. Yeah, there must be 150 pickleball courts on the island down here. It's a, it's a number one <laughs> Thing to do on the island. Is Michelle Very playing? Good. She's playing. She uh, kind of pulled a, a, a calf muscle the other day. She's got a calf. Uh, she's got a calf. So now she's been laid up for three weeks. And I was like, well, Joe Burrow went out there and gutted through it. You know, <laughs> I was like, you, you got to play hurt sometimes, hon. I mean, if you, you know. <laughs> and then I got a shoe upside my head and then uh, we moved on <laughs> in life. <laughs> All right, Rick. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun. Thank you so much. All right, so we learned a lot there. I, I love that uh, he, he's still acting like a general manager. He's watching tape every single day, just like you would, you know? Yeah, I, I love the Spielman brothers, actually, because Rick is, you know, really uh, uh, pays attention to the details of all the jobs that he's had in the NFL front offices. He's got a brother, Chris Spielman, who was uh, – a pro bowl caliber. He was a pro bowl player, all pro player uh, played against him plenty of times. And it's, they've been dedicated to football their whole lives. And I'm glad to see them both of them still involved in the NFL because the NFL is better with the Spielman brothers in the league. All right, before we get into the Vikings, uh, 2023 Art Rooney sportsmanship award. Every team has a nominee, 32 of them though. I'll be voted on at the end of the year to see who wins that honor, but T.J. Edwards was the uh, Bears' choice. And uh, I couldn't think of a better guy wearing that uniform right now for the Bears to have that. Uh, He is a tremendous guy, soft-spoken, but a very big leader in the locker room. You know what's so awesome about that is the immediate impact he has on the Chicago Bears in such a short amount of time. You know, it started in an OTAs. It traveled through training camp. It began with the regular season, and he's approved, improved every game since then. And then to have this honor bestowed upon you, it just shows you, uh, you know, what a good cho- choice Ryan Poles went out and uh, bringing a player like that back to his hometown and having the impact in the locker room and on the field that he has. All right, let's dig into the Vikings on Monday night. Um, maybe, you know, their streak stopper was uh, something that 
raised their attention and their eyebrows that they could not finish that job in Denver after winning five in a row. The Bears' uh, uh, defeat at their hands back at Soldier Field in week six. So that started the ball rolling for the Vikings, but they lose Kirk Cousins. They did not have Justin Jefferson against the Bears in week five, or week six, rather. He injured himself in week five against Kansas City. So the hamstring, it's an it's a interesting injury. It's been a while. Uh, he still does not have to come back just yet. Will the, will the Vikings risk Justin Jefferson re-injuring his hamstring and put him on the field Monday night? They're not going to risk him for anything. It's going to be when he feels that he's 100% and he can play equally in all four quarters, then you'll see Justin Jefferson back on the field. My thing is, is I'm not going to be enamored by this feel-good story about Joshua Dobbs. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, but I'm going to attack him like an opponent. I'm going to try to keep him inside the pocket with no escapability where he can't use his legs in looking downfield in kind of a desperate throwing situation. I'm going to make him throw on a decision from inside the pocket because I think that's where his he's most vulnerable. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great story, and it's, capital, uh, it's capturing the attention of NFL fans. But for one week, you have to push that aside and attack, attack, attack. So what do you think he does well? I think he runs outside of the pocket with vision downfield. I think because he's in a situation that there's no expectations of him, he's willing to make some chance he throws. He's developed a quick relationship with the tight end that is not necessarily long drawn out routes that sometimes you're you're bigger in the type of protect or the type of coverage you're receiving and he he takes chances with them. And I think Addison is a nice complimentary receiver with the loss of Justin Jefferson. So that's why is, uh, you know, Kevin O'Connell, the the coach, does a lot of coaching on the quarterback headset. I'm going to make him live through that while I put pressure on him, hopefully the way the Bears can. TJ Hawkinson is the trusted target. He's got the target high right now with Dobbs, uh, but he's been taking a pounding, much like Cole Komet does. That's a position you're going to battle through some stuff. He's battling through a rib injury right now, but they got the bye week coming, just like the Bears. You played, you got some bye weeks, right? Yeah. So two teams, both going into the bye week after a holiday with friends and family in town. You know, where does the edge lie here? Well, bye weeks were different when I was there. They dangled the reward like a carrot in front of a horse. If we played well and won, then we only practiced for three days in pads, and then we got a couple days off. If not, we practice the whole week like a normal practice week, and I know the collective bargaining agreement is different. I think there's a lot of incentive for the Bears players to come out there and play fresh, play hard, play aggressive, be able to finish the game at the end with a victory and have that bye week uh, as a late-season reward before this thing winds down. Good news, Chicago United Airlines is getting brand new planes with all the bells and whistles like Bluetooth connectivity. Screens at every seat and room for everyone's roller bag. United, pride to fly, the Chicago Bears, and you too. Uh, a new change up at running back. I think uh, there's some concern with Alexander Madison with the fumbles. Uh, he hadn't been bad since early in the season with that, but overall this team has the most fumbles in the NFL. Uh, they haven't lost all those fumbles, but it, it's a big number. And they have the same uh, turnover margin now as the Bears do at a minus six. Right. Uh, Ty Chandler, though. Ty Chandler is a bigger back, explosive. He had a 31-yard on the fake punt. 
uh, but he struggles in pass protection. So are the, is this an area of an attack for the Bears at that running game? Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I think you got to be physically with Madison because here's a guy that played a backup role basically to Dalvin Cook. So he didn't have the abuse of a year that was solely on his shoulders. So if you can be physical with him and you can create the collision, don't allow him to lower his shoulder pads into you, that's when you can separate him from the football. And um, if it comes down to a running game that is going to decide the fate of this game, then you have to attack him. If it's going to come down to a passing game and they use both backs, then you're going to have to create vulnerability in their protection, whether it's through the offensive line or the running back. You know, looking back at that Vikings game, they held the Vikings to 3 of 13 on third down, the Bears defense, 220 yards on 130 net passing. Right. And you held them under 20 points. Uh, less than that because Jordan Hicks took one back on the fumble. So they really played well, well enough to win against the Minnesota Vikings with Kirk Cousins. So now they don't have Marcus Davenport. There's other players injured, but they do have Daniil Hunter, Tom. And at U.S. Bank Stadium, he's got 45 and a half career sacks in 56 games, 70 hits, and five forced fumbles. He is, as you say, playing for extra dough and playing for a big, big contract. And he is playing out of his mind right now. He's playing extremely well. Uh, what's, how do you deal with this guy right now? You have to have a creative game plan uh, for Justin uh, devised by Luke Getze. You have to put Justin in multiple positions to throw the ball. The Bears only had 113 yards passing in the first game, and they were sacked five times. If you try to make Justin sit in the pocket inside Minnesota, I think you're playing with fire. But if you allow him to roll out to his right and to his left and have bootlegs and have designed quarterback runs with blockers in front of him, I think that's the biggest hindrance to aggressiveness at the line of scrimmage for Brian Flores because if you can't exactly guess where Justin's release point is going to be or if it is a designed run with an escort in front of him, it's difficult to feel confident about putting those blitzers in the box because if they run outside and get to the edge, those blitzers are for nothing. So, you definitely got to improve on the yardage that that you put up there in the passing game, and um, you know take advantage again. Take advantage of Justin's athleticism. We saw it this week in the first drive of the game against Detroit, and um, it, it was as impressive first drive in that environment as I've seen in a long time by the Bears. All right, uh, different topic now. Just uh, hit this because it really got my attention, and you and I spoke on the phone about it yesterday, and we both agree. So Tom Brady, and I know it's been talked about on Stephen A. Smith's show this week. I'm just going to read the quotes. I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence I saw in the past. I think the coaching isn't as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. I don't think the schemes are as good as they were. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. I think he's referring to tackling, number one. And he says it's not up to a defensive player to protect an offensive player when we talk about these hard hits. The hard hits of the days gone by of the Ray Lewis's and the the 85 Bears, for crying out loud, they killed people. Um, It's an offensive player's responsibility to protect himself, how to get rid of the ball, how to throw it, how to run out of bounds, how to get down, how to lower your pad level. They used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. So – uh, these are really bold to the point 
no messing around words from the future lead analyst on Fox next year. I think you and I probably agree with all of that and then some. Oh, I agree with him 100%, and I'm glad someone finally had the guts to say something about it because I watch football on a regular basis, and not only the Bears and their opponent, I watch every game that I have access to, just like I'll be sitting there on Thanksgiving watching all three of the games. And I and I watched undercoached guys that is frustrating for me to watch. And I see quarterbacks that lead receivers that they have to catch the ball and all of a sudden the defensive player hits them because of a late throw by a quarterback and then they blame it on the defense. I think all those things you have to take into account. And I'm finally glad the GOAT stood up there with his half a billion dollars in earnings and had the guts to say something that needed to be said. I do believe that he, Peyton Manning, they want to preserve the game. The game is is what we knew. I know there's changes. That's never going to stop. Evolution of everything in the world is going to make different looks to things. But I also I heard Ron Rivera, your old teammate, on SiriusXM this week, and this whole thing came up, and it's about more time spent on task dealing with tackling, tackling properly, and those types of things. When they brought up the the, the hip tackle and all that, the hip drop tackle. Um, because they're not getting a chance because there's only limited number of days that they can be in pads during the season. And I, I think that needs to be discussed at the union level. And I think, guys, if you want to be better and you want to avoid injury, do it the right way. Do it the right way. And let's talk about it as a football community here, not to have your agents or the union say, hey, you know, we, we can't have that. It, it's hurting the game. And guys are getting hurt regardless. And have – then have more physical of practices when you have the opportunity. That's what I'm saying. That's what right. I'm saying. I, I, and I, yes, I agree with you. I guess you're saying it in a, in a different way. But if you want things fundamentally done correctly in football, then you have to practice them in football. You can't sit out there and have a, a, a drill that's run at a certain percentage of effort and think that's the way it's going to happen on, on a game day. That's just not the case. And these guys get paid handsomely to take the chances in life that the sport is it, it challenges you with. Just like the generations before me, my generations are the generations that come. So, um, again, getting back to the original topic of Tom Brady, I, I, I think this is the first time I said I admire him for speaking out <laughs> that way. All right, here's another one. Steve Young, I don't know if you heard this today. He was at Troon Golf Club. There was an event, and uh, Jim McMahon was in the audience. Uh, they clearly had a golf tournament, and, he, and Young was speaking, and he said uh, of Jim that he learned the game from Jim McMahon. Tells McMahon's dad all the time, I owe Jim everything. How I dropped to throw. I didn't know how to throw a football. I didn't know how to get the ball to spin. Jim taught me all of that. And uh, as he departed with the, his final comments, he said, yeah, Jim left – BYU with a bag of 73 NCAA records, which I had yep. no clue. And, yep. but to, to see that, that heartfelt uh, honesty from Steve Young, um, I don't know if you are aware of this kind of admiration of Jim from Steve and that he owes him everything. That's a pretty big statement to make about Jimmy Mack. 
I, I heard that before. And I talked to Jim about this and about the Lo- Lavelle Edwards approach, the head coach there at BYU at this time, and that developed this offensive proficiency um, that carried through to a lot of other positions. So Jim's two offensive tackles when he played at uh, BYU was Andy Reid and another guy named Nick Ear. Nick Ear was my offensive tackle in the USFL. So I got to understand a little bit more about McMahon before I ever had a chance to play with him. And then when you get a chance to play with him, Jim understood coverages so well that he didn't need to sit there and watch tape for hours. And I remember sitting at at the Bears facility one years ago, and I was watching tape, and he came back in the back room where we used to sit and watch it and came to say hi, and I was watching something. He goes, ah, they throw the ball here. You know, he looks at the play for an instant, and he knows exactly just by the positioning. So Andy Reid, why is Andy Reid such a considered a quarterback guru? Why does he have the most wins in Philadelphia and in, in, in Kansas City history? He's a Lovell Edwards guy, even though he played offensive tackle. So I have heard the compliments by Steve Young before, by Jim. But I think um, being around Jim in the game and, um, for example, the first play of the second half of the Super Bowl, Jim said, hey, you guys, if you sell this run fake, this is going to be a huge play to Willie Gault. And I think it was a 67-yard pass to Willie Gault. It's the preemptive uh, telling us of how the play is going to go if, in fact, we did the things correctly. Must give you an amazing amount of confidence in your quarterback when he's steep speaking like that in the huddle. And then it comes hey, true, I mean, you know? You know, it's, it's amazing because it's, you know, there is no listening device at that time. He's hearing the play either from the sideline or someone's bringing it in. And he's kind of given a description of what's going to happen while he's calling the play. You know, hey, Matt, show me a good fake here. Hey, Walter, carry this out, and I'm going to hit you over to the left-hand side. Hey, Dennis, if you hit that slant and go, it's coming to you. And then we break the huddle on one, and boom, the rest is history. The late Sid Luckman, born on this day 107 years ago. You know, I had dinner with Sid Luckman right before he passed away at Gibson's. And a great story was, I don't know if you've ever been to Gibson's, they have unbelievable desserts there. And so during the time of year, they had apple strudel. And so he told everybody, you order what you want because no one's going to have any of my apple strudel. (laughs) And he ordered it and he ate the whole thing, all the whole interior of it with a, with a spoon. And, uh, and you know what? He was a great gift giver. When we went to dinner that night, he gave me a tie and it was a really nice, had a nice gold chain on it, a really nice tie. And I know I still have it somewhere, but, you know, the the, the guy was just incredibly gracious. And incredibly good. Four-time NFL champion with the Bears and football's first great T-formation quarterback. Uh, now I got, oh, this is a side note that I never got into the game broadcast on ESPN on Sunday in Detroit. You know who the winningest coach in Lions history is? It's a sub. Yes, but it's a a sub 500 record. I mean, we're talking about a team was very good in the 50s, and, you know, but yeah, it's Wayne Fonts. That's just an arbitrary thought that really doesn't make any 
impact, but I just that thought, was just off the top of my head too. Well, I that's pretty good. <laughs> I just thought that he did have some success when he was there, and he was not a pushover. No, in terms as being as a coach, number one. And then I'm going to read a quote, and you tell me who you think it could possibly be. It doesn't necessarily have to be an NFL player. My best bench press was 525. My best deadlift was 710. And my best squat was 610. First of all, you probably came, well, you did the most you ever benched was what? Five something, right? Most I ever benched was 535. All right, you beat him. How about deadlift? Deadlift, I was weak. I think my best deadlift ever was 575. Squat? 810. Well, you're no Arnold Schwarzenegger, but that's who made that quote. And Arnold Schwarzenegger weighed a lot less than I did, too. Um, even at the height of his bodybuilding and his strength, he was not a heavy guy. He was just super strong. That's I had amazing. A chance to, I met him a couple times, once at Gold's Gym out in California and once with uh, Jim Belushi filming a movie, Red Heat, here in Chicago. And I asked him, I said, hey, Arnold, how much do you weigh? He said, 222. <laughs> <laughs> 222. So when you were throwing this up, you were in the 260s, 270s? 300? Uh, no, I was I was probably about 285, 280. 290. Okay. Yeah. And they were all under the witness of Clyde Emmerich. Well, I, I, know I, I, I guarantee, dearly, yeah, I, you know, we're not doubting you. Early departed. I'm not, you know, making up numbers here. It was all in front of him. So silver screen star, uh, former governor, and uh, bodybuilding champion many times over. You beat him in everything but the deadlift. But I was a lot heavier, and you know. But I, I remember as a kid driving from Chicago to the movie theater on Rush Street to watch the documentary Pumping Iron, and with he and Lou Ferrigno and Sergio Olive and uh, Frank Colombo and all the the greats of the greats, and he used to walk into the bodybuilding contest and look around and say, "I'm just wondering who's going to get second because. <laughs> He was the greatest of all time. Take a chance. Download the Bet Rivers app today. And we're brought to you by PNC, official bank of the Bears. Any final thoughts on what has to happen Monday? Uh, the Bears have a 12-game losing streak dating back to 2021 in the NFC North. They've been beaten by an average of 12-plus points per game in those games. Um, and, and Justin has won one game against an NFC North opponent in games that he's played. He hasn't played in all of those due to injury, but... Uh, you gotta win. You gotta win in your division. I think before we talk about anything else, it's got to be about winning games in the NFC North, big time. Start fast and finish strong, and that that should be the theme of the week. And um, whether you're on defense and you got to provide some pressure on Joshua Dobbs, or you can have a drive as well constructed as uh, Luke Etsy and Justin and the rest of the guys did opening drive in Detroit. Steinhoffers is an employee-owned furniture and mattress store. Visit any of their four Chicagoland locations in Vernon Hills, Crystal Lake, Downers Grove, and Harwood Heights, or shop online at steinhoffels.com. Big time, enjoy your Thanksgiving multiple brunches and layouts of food from your family, and uh, we all hope we'll have a nice, uh, beautiful time with our families and friends, and we'll be back on the radio uh, on Monday night in Minnesota for the kickoff against the Vikings. For Tom Thayer, I'm Jeff Joniak. Thanks for listening. Our next podcast drops next Tuesday. We'll recap the Bears-Vikings game and look forward to the bye week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please subscribe now on the Chicago Bears official app, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Thanksgiving and bear down, everybody.